Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. My name is Megan. I am very lucky to be joined today by Leah Grimberg, who is a principal at Radical Loyalty. Today, we're going to be chatting with Leah and Marcy Conan, who is an EVP of Insights here at Dig Insights. That was a lot of insights that I just said. Um, But yes, (laughs) we're joined by Marcy and Leah. We're going to be talking about when it makes sense to have a loyalty program, how you assess what um, those rewards need to be, um, who to look to in the um, in the consumer brand landscape that is doing things particularly well. Um, basically, we're going to be talking all things all things loyalty programs. So, Leah and Marcy, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for inviting me, Megan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, Leah, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? So yeah, how did you get into this space and what have you been up to over the last sort of few years? Yes, absolutely. So most recently, as you mentioned, I uh, founded a company called Radical Loyalty, where we decode the mysteries and the secrets behind customer loyalty. And we do that by unleashing the brand's data to help them connect with their customers on an emotional level through marketing communications and, as you said, through through insights. Uh, but this is a new and recent venture for me. I have 20 plus years in, uh, in industry, uh, working both from a practitioner point of view in loyalty and a consultant at big, big brands like American Express, The Home Depot, Loblaw, The Bay, Loyalty One Air Miles, etc. So I'm uh, thrilled uh, to be talking about my favorite topic of all time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've got so much knowledge to drop on this topic, which is which is amazing. And Marcy, um, when I was chatting internally to, to folks about getting the chance to speak to Leah, she had kind of said, oh my gosh, I love love loyalty, have worked in loyalty for a long time. I'd love to join. Um, Marcy, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about your experience in, in customer loyalty? Yeah, absolutely. So currently... I'm supporting a number of brands on either the development or refinement of their loyalty programs or even the the measurement in terms of how things are going. Uh, But my love for loyalty started when I was back on the client side, working at Canadian Tire, uh, which is the oldest or the longest standing loyalty program in Canada, going back to their their paper money. (laughs) Oh my gosh, their paper money is iconic these days. (laughs) Yeah, it has its own cult following and collectors. So uh, that was a great brand to really kind of sink my teeth into in kind of early in my career. And uh, yeah, it just really sparked a passion for understanding how you can build loyalty within your customer base. And now I'm, you know, on the other side of the table, looking at uh, the kind of the analytics and insight side of things. But, uh, you know, it's something that I've always been really intrigued by uh, and, you know, happy to be servicing a number of different brands now on that, on that topic. Very cool. Thank you. Um, as you were talking, I was just thinking like, Obviously, the fact that they had paper money uh, the entire as part of their loyalty program was pretty amazing, and it feels really old school now. Um, 
was there anything in particular, Marcy, about the Canadian Tire Loyalty Program, um, besides the fact that it was paper money, that you felt like was um, like particularly insightful or incredibly well done um, or unique? Um, just, yeah, just curious. Yeah, I mean, it's a program that, that really has evolved over the years. And I think if anything, it's a good lesson in how important it is to stay in tune with what your customers really want from the program. Um, you know, really um, understanding that there are a wide you know range of benefits and things that you can tap into, but it really starts with understanding what your customer wants and what they value. And you know, with that program, there were consumers and you know who really who really loved that tangible, tactile side of the the paper money program. And you know thinking about how to evolve that into the digital space was just so fascinating. Uh, understanding wh- where consumers were um, willing to trade off on things like accessibility and ease of tracking and things like that versus some of the nostalgia that can come with programs like this. I think, you know, these programs really are habit forming (laughs) when they're done well. And so there's always this kind of double edged sword of how can you evolve it, keep it fresh, keep it meaningful, um, but not, not lose sight of what that customer wants at the end of the day. Anything you wanted to add there, Leah? Well, I, I, I remember myself as as a little kid uh, having those paper money. And to me, loyalty is all about the life cycle of a customer. And the fact that that paper money was so tangible, to Marcy's point, actually brought the younger consumers in on board at a, at, a, at a child age. And so really it helped us grow up with the program. And when it actually uh, evolved to its current state being digital and a lot more current, uh, we've been bought in from the get-go. And it was our loyalty program with training wheels at the time, which is fascinating. Of course, the downside of it is uh, unfortunately being on paper, it didn't actually allow Canadian Tire to garner any insights in terms of its member base or, or its usage. And and uh, the digitalization of it, of course, was driven by consumer uh, preferences and expectations, but also the fact that really such an investment in loyalty really needs to be backed up by the, the main asset that it drives, which is the data. Yeah, I think that that's a very good point. And I was kind of... <laughs> When I came into this, I was like, yeah, let's just put the fact that it was paper money to one side, but you're totally right. I mean, it served a purpose, the fact that it was this tactile sort of um, almost felt like monopoly money for, for children. Um, so, yeah, no. And and then, yeah, of course, the trade-off was that they weren't able to actually capture um, capture the, the right data to sort of continue to stay in tune with what their customers want or what those rewards should be. Um, kind of brings me to... I don't want to get too far down because I know we do want to talk about some examples of other brands that are currently doing a fantastic job. But before we get there, I want to dive in a little bit to like, how do you know if a brand should even have a loyalty program? Um, it sounds amazing to like, as, as someone who might work on the brand side in marketing, like, you know what, I would love to, for my brand to have a, a loyalty program and keep customers coming back time and time again. But what are sort of the signs or signals um, that it makes sense for a brand to have their own loyalty program with customers? 
Yeah, so I am very cautious of when a brand should actually have a loyalty program, to be honest. And the reason for that is primarily it is a huge investment, uh, particularly for for financial services and retailers. Uh, the investment in a loyalty program is going to be your largest expense after cost of goods sold. And if you don't have the budget to be able to actually afford the rewards, the benefits, the value you're going to provide back to the customer, there's really no no reason to start one. So that's that's definitely one. The second is your loyalty program is not necessarily a tool to drive acquisition to your brand. People do not come to your brand to join a loyalty program. It's typically about the fifth or sixth reason why people shop with you. It is really a tool to engage your existing customers. So once you're brand is is in the post driving acquisition stage and really wants to has has a solid enough uh, base of consumers that they want to collect insights from or continue driving sales through or engagement from that is the right time and also at the same time when data becomes a hot priority because really the best and, and the biggest reason for you to have a loyalty program is to collect and invest data. And particularly, it's it's less of an issue in an e-com environment. It's more of an issue when you have both an e-com and a brick and mortar uh, uh, kind of operations, because it allows you to connect your, your users in a single profile across all the different brand interactions. And, and finally, the, the other main component of loyalty is that it drives very specific KPIs. And there has to be buy-in across the C-suite on what uh, the, the, the actual objectives and the KPIs that the program is trying to drive. And there has to be integration of the loyalty program throughout every single brand interaction for the customer. And so... There has to be that that need to believe and buy in across the entire organization because it cannot operate as a silo. So as long as those four criteria are met, that's when the, the organization is ready. I would say if if you cannot meet all four, then it's probably be- better not to do not to go down that path. Mm. What should those KPIs be in your in your experience um, that for a loyalty program? They, they honestly vary uh, and it, it depends on, on what what is the main challenge that you're trying to drive. And those KPIs are actually going to drive the design of the program. So they could be, uh, and they have to be more broad than I want to drive sales. They have to be a little bit more specific. So it could be, uh, I need to drive frequency. I need to recognize my best customers. I need to drive margin. I need to mm. drive uh, average basket. What is the specific behavior that you're trying to, to change, promote, encourage among your customer base? And you can come up with potentially top two or three as long as they're rank ordered. Mm. Okay. And that, that way the, the actual design is going to then support what you're trying to drive. And then hopefully that will get better buy-in throughout the organization because it's actually going to move the business in the right direction. 
And how do you, where does brand sort of come into all of this in terms of, um, what do I mean by that? To what extent do you need, uh, I guess, the KPIs of the loyalty program to be associated with like your brand values or, you know, the, the feeling that you want people to get when they're shopping with you? Um, like, how does that become part of the conversation? Absolutely. So remember how I mentioned that your your program is never going to be the top reason that the customer shops with you? Your customer has expectations about what the brand is supposed to deliver. And so the loyalty program needs to support those brands. And any literature, any research that you will read will tell you that the higher the alignment between the brand and the loyalty value proposition, the higher you will have uh, the, your, your customer satisfaction in your loyalty program. So loyalty program, loyalty is an outcome overall. It's not, it's not necessarily a program. So the experience is, has to be holistic and it has to be mapped out across all the different touch points and, the program needs to be integrated with how how the brand and the customers interact. They cannot be separated. And it allows for really good synergies. So for instance, if your brand actually stands uh, for a particular cause, your loyalty program could be a really great vehicle to deliver against those mm whether it's through time, whether it's through financial, uh, or whether it's uh, through the actual community support of that particular goal that the brand actually is supporting as well. Very interesting point, Leah. Um, in terms of when we think about like why loyalty is such a hot topic right now, because I do think that it is. I mean, I've we just did a bunch of research about um, you know economic sentiment and how people are feeling whether we're like in a recession or not in a recession and how people can sort of eke out um, more from, you know, the, the more rewards, I guess, from being brand loyal, um, you know, which sort of like points providers people are obsessed with. Um, why would you say other than sort of the economic um, situation that we're, that we're in or the climate that we're in, why would you say that loyalty, I don't know, is having, is having a resurgence a little bit or having um, a little bit of time in the sun? Yes, so absolutely. Uh, from a consumer point of view, in tough economic environments, points certainly act as a really good way of stretching your consumer dollar because they allow you to shop for gifts, buy yourself that extra, or just just add to, uh, points to your budget. The way I look at it as well is is also from the brand point of view. And from the brand point of view, uh, loyalty programs enable this amazing ecosystem to drive relevance and personalization. And what we're seeing in, in today's world is that customers really understand what their data is worth. And personalization and, and relevance is something they are coming to expect in exchange for the value of the data that they're providing. And what we're seeing is that customers are walking away from brands that don't deliver on those expectations. So research says that brands are losing about a 33%, so a third 
of their customers if they don't provide personalization, which is huge. And so as companies are starting to focus on existing customers, which we know is where the bulk of the value can be recovered and are they need to close that leaky bucket of customers that are losing that 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 are walking away they really need to double down on on existing customers and so loyalty programs specifically enable you to have that that value exchange as well as the delivery of relevance in rewards in communications in experiences that that customers are demanding and we have now the tools we have the know-how and so it we it is now a upon us to deliver against those expectations mm. yeah i i think that point of personalization is a really good one um and just for someone for anyone listening who might not know what we mean like when you say personalization do you mean the ability for someone to choose what those rewards are like what does personalization mean in this context personalization it it can mean it's it's an excellent question because uh it can mean a whole host of things to to people uh it used to mean getting your name right in an email right uh, which, which was the old way of knowing it but but personalization is all about relevance it's it's about me knowing enough about you to provide you with, uh, with communications products offers that are that are interesting to you so if i know that for instance that you buy peanut butter every couple of weeks it's about me providing you with the right level of discount for to drive that that right kind of behavior mm. versus i have someone who who's a vegetarian that i would never provide them with 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 any product recommendations with any discounts on meat it's about connecting with you through the channel of your choice at the time of your choice it's about product recommendations as you're surfing through this giant website of a department store that provides a curation specifically based on your style your size your your fabric your texture your color preferences as well as connecting it to what's in stock and what's potentially uh, going on sale okay no that definitely really helps me um just better pinpoint exactly what we mean when we say relevance um Marcy, when it comes to the work that we do with our clients on their loyalty programs, how do we get a better sense of sort of relevance and and what would be relevant for them to be offering at any given time? Yeah, I think that it starts by just understanding what the customer values. Like so from the consumer lens, what are they deriving the most value from in the program? And, you know, most programs are still very much rooted in points, rewards and things like that. But we've seen a lot of um, expansion in terms of how brands are thinking about delivering rewards. It could be through partnerships, uh, you know, w- which of those partnerships are valued, which will help drive that, you know, that frequency for the brand, for example. Um, in some cases, it's about giving the consumer some choice in terms of how they want to um, engage with the program, uh, you know without citing any particular programs, for example, you know, some may even be tied to charitable causes. So which of those mm. viewed by the, uh, by their particular customers and their best customers, <laughs> just keeping in mind that, you know, 
more often than not, we're really looking at how you really service those best customers within the uh, within the base for a particular brand. Um, you know, even giving consumers choice. You know, even ten years ago. A lot of these programs were very kind of just standardized and, and kind of applied with a blanket. But now there's a lot more flexibility in terms of how programs can be delivered. Um, mm. For example, I, you know, there are some brands that will give consumers the choice in terms of how they may want to donate points or rewards to a charity and give them choices in terms of the causes that they want to support. So any of those small wins in terms of how they how they can make it more relevant to them personally, I think could go a long way. Um, and and allow for different customer types within that base to have different experiences as well. Um, you know, Leah, you mentioned the idea, that idea of kind of, uh, you know, it's not just about the points or the cash back always. Sometimes it's about how you can engage with the brand through things like customized offers, promotions, and things like that. And I think we see too that, that for some brands, it's less about um, the product and the stuff. And they consumers may be placing more value on things like exclusivity. So do I get exclusive access to product? Do mm. I perhaps get early access to sales or or particular brand partnerships and things like that. So it's really about understanding what that consumer base understands and importantly, where are they making trade-offs because we can't, you can't give it all, <laughs> you know, yeah. so those trade-offs and understand what will have the most impact on, on, on measures that are um, either behavioral in terms of frequency spend um, recommendation or on the softer side, that kind of that feel good element and that, that more kind of subjective side of loyalty. Um, and often we're, we're doing that not by simply asking the customer, okay, what do you want? Because it's really easy to want it all, <laughs> but really having them make those, those hard decisions and trade-offs. So we understand, um, you know, what they value and, and what will really impact the brand at the end of the day. Yeah. That's such a good point too on having to make those trade-offs. I mean, Leah, how, if you had a client approach you and, and want to understand like if, you know, everyone wants everything, but if they, you know, what do they value most? How do you go about understanding that? Um, Again, we go back to the KPIs that they're trying to drive and the objectives of the program. What we tend to do is we segment their customer base into best, next best, the rest, and then prospects. If the objective of the program is to recognize your best customers uh, or to grow your next best or to uh, drive prospects, then we focus on what that particular group wants and in, in actually designing up the program. And then there's this really neat tool uh, from a research perspective that, that we use that allows the the research from uh, the research group to uh, compare alternatives and they could actually end up comparing trade-offs uh, between different features of the program and within within the parameters of the research you can actually stipulate of this uh, this combination cannot be combined with this combination from a cost perspective or these two uh, factors and these two attributes must always go together. So you can you can create the box within within which uh, your your research group plays, and then they have to choose between A or B. And and, and it, it doesn't become a free for all. There, that's that's when they actually end up uh, providing which which trade offs they actually would would 
prefer. And at the end, you get an optimal program, a design that is specifically designed for that one group that that you want to to actually drive. Sounds a little bit like Upside, um, if I'm understanding it correctly, which is our tech tool, which allows you to sort of trade off and understand interest and, and sort of that commitment um, when when placed head to head. Marcy, is that is that is that something that we would use when understanding um, what works best for our loyalty programs? Yeah, I can definitely see an application for something like Upside Megan when you're understanding what are the features and benefits that that consumers might value, um, especially in the early stages of a program design where you're really kind of looking at those high level uh, benefits and understanding um, the trade-offs that they're making. I think as you get further down the path with really really honing in on things like the reward structure, what's a point worth, things like those, um, you need to get a little bit more sophisticated in terms of understanding okay. of multiple pieces of the puzzle. Um, but yeah, certainly in an in a early kind of benefit and feature screening stage, or, or perhaps, you know, screening different partners or, or looking at, um, you know, claims and messages that might resonate, Upside would be a great tool. Um, and I was just going to add as well that in addition to that kind of the program design side of things, um, we found it's also you know so important to, to look at the redemption side of the equation as well. You know, as Leah mentioned earlier, it's great to to build these wonderful loyalty pro- programs, but if your your brand can't execute on it or deliver on it, either because it becomes very costly and expensive, or perhaps it's complex, things can fall apart quite quickly. So often in our work, we're also looking at how consumers react to that program and and are spending their <laughs> their rewards as well. And in that situation, you know, I think a, a new approach that, that we've used that's been quite compelling is we actually simulate that environment. So let's imagine we're looking at travel rewards um, and we're making some, some tweaks or adjustments to a program uh, based on flights, let's say, rather than simply asking consumers to tell us what they might do, we actually create simulated environments. So imagine you are on the program's you know, website, we know that you're a domestic flyer, uh, you rarely fly for business, and you're often traveling, let's say, between Toronto and Vancouver, we can create those simulated environments, present you with a number of options and see how you might behave. Which flight are you actually going to book, given these options? Where does your behavior change as we start to play with components of the program, whether it's you know, points values or uh, the the impact of added added features, like let's say extra check baggage or an upgrade to to business class, and we actually see how you how you how that element kind of plays out in terms of your your actual behavior. So it can be really compelling to understand, you know, when you're in that choice situation, what what do consumers actually do, and how does that change versus perhaps the current state? So in those situations, it, it's it's a it's much more complex than perhaps upside could handle, but it allows you to really look at all the different interconnected points in the program um, and understand how playing with one element impacts the other, um, and ultimately what the the consumer will choose. Cool. We went far down the. Day. You have this this complex financial model that, that you mm. construct yeah. that allows you to put all these different elements in, into a forecast so that you can figure out and budget for, for redemption across different elements and different benefits. And to Marcy's point, 
brands sometimes shy away from redemptions because obviously they represent a cost. But what we know to be true is that a redemption triggers this amazing surge in in engagement and in spend with your brand because two things happen. There's this brand halo effect and brand love that gets triggered in the minds of consumers on one hand. And on the other hand, if it's a points-based program, as the points get depleted past a certain amount, there's this desire to build up that balance to the, that psychological threshold that yeah. consumers have in their mind of, oh my goodness, I'm now be- below that amount. I need to rebuild my balance. And so they're much more motivated to to earn. And there's really interesting ways of encouraging redemption that continues that the building of that balance that brings the consumer back into into the brand environment and shopping. Yeah, I was going to say we've um, we've gone really nerdy on this one. I love it. Like I, but I, I was fascinated just to understand how Leah you sort of, and it sounds like the approach is, is quite similar from, from Marcy and, and Leah in terms of getting an understanding of those trade-offs and how you define what will work best for, um, you know, the most important sort of segment of customers for a brand. I am conscious of time. Um, so I'd like to close out just on a final question around, which brands are doing this really well? Um, so when people leave after listening to this podcast, like who should they be Googling um, to get a better sense of, yeah, what works and what doesn't? Um, Leah, why don't you kick us off? So we've always held Sephora as a gold standard of, of loyalty programs. And that's because, yes, it has a points program and it has a birthday gift, which is a hugely, hugely valuable benefit, uh, which they've recently changed, which caused a big backlash among the consumers, which means that people are paying attention and and it's a valuable benefit. But I'll I'll, I'll leave that aside. What my favorite things about Sephora is, is that they go beyond just the basic what we call acquire benefits of hard benefits. And, and they focus a lot on, um, on community and on access. And Marcy had mentioned, it really depends what your, what your customer value. So as you move up the tiers in, in the Sephora program, you get access to sales, to first releases of products and to exclusive shopping events as well. And then from a community building perspective, uh, Sephora has always been really great at getting customers to create. And what I mean by that is they have a community board where I can go in and I can ask, can somebody help me contour a face? And all of a sudden, someone else can create a giant how-to video walking me through a tutorial of exactly what what I need to do, recommending products for my skin type. And they are not in any way affiliated with Sephora other than they just happen to be a fan and a member. But now we we are working together to create a a, a more beautiful me, uh, as well as connecting across 
two uh, individuals who have a, co- a common goal but don't necessarily know each other. And so they, they, they have this amazing ecosystem. And then my other favorite concept is that they were recently voted uh, or selected as the number one retailer in terms of personalization by sale through. So they are really great at leveraging their data to create an experience mm. that is specific to me. So Sephora, always, always the gold standard, just because they, like I said, they run the gamut of it's not just the hard benefits, but it's also about bonding and connection and community and creation as well. So that's one. Um, the other one, is something that I actually would never be able to participate just because I'm Canadian and it's a US-based program. But uh, they get a thumbs up from me. Uh, It's uh, the Walgreens program. It's called My Walgreens. And the reason for that is uh, they actually have a uh, private label co-brand credit card. Actually, sorry, not private label. It's a co-brand credit card. And they... typically earn 1% cash back. But the Walgreens being a pharmacy, what is really core to their brand is health and wellness. And they use their corporate credit card to promote health and wellness among their, their member base outside of what necessarily hits their bottom line and profits them directly. So they have a, a multiplier where you buy, you get a 3% instead of 1% on payments to doctors, to dentists, for counseling, for gym, for vets, for, for pet store. So things that, that are good and benefit their, their members that are not necessarily connected to specific transactional behavior that benefit Walgreens per se, which to me shows that they care about their consumers and the fact that they are connecting the what the brand values and what the brand stands for to what the loyalty program actually rewards. Mm. To me, that's a, that's a win-win. Yeah. I've never heard of the, the Walgreens example, but I am a Sephora, Sephora member, I guess, is what you would call it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's a really interesting category because people are so passionate about makeup and the makeup that works for them. And like, if it's your thing, you absolutely love it. So the idea of getting exclusive offers to things, the idea of having a community around um, this like makeup ecosystem, I totally can get behind. So yeah, everything you were saying, I was like, yes, yes, yes. That resonates. Um, Marcy, do you have any other examples you'd like to call out? Yeah, you know, I think although not a traditional free customer reward program, I, I would be remiss not to mention Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah. Like, excuse the pun, but like the prime example of a pay-to-join loyalty <laughs> program. And I think, you know, Prime was one of the first kind of pay-to-joins. And, um, you know, with, with something like 200 million members, uh, it, it's obviously working. And, and I know that program has an extremely high retention rate. Um, I think I remember hearing quoted that, almost 50% of Prime members are purchasing something at least weekly from Amazon. So it's working on that side. Um, Because there's something around that psychological thought process, I think, that members feel they should continue spending because they won't know having paid that membership fee. Part of the success of Prime is due to just the wealth of rewards that 
members enjoy. You know, it's not only about, you know, one day delivery. It's also about, um, you know, same day grocery delivery in the markets that offer that, um, you know, access to movies and TV shows through through Amazon Prime and Amazon Music Prime for that matter. And those perks just really set that program apart, I think. Um, they've really found a way to make themselves like such an integral part of their members weekly, mm. not, if not their daily lives, um, even outside of the context of purchasing product. Um, so it really, I think it just encourages members to stay loyal and, and, and build that connection to Amazon. Yeah. I think that's a very good example. I don't even think about it as a program anymore. I would never get rid of it <laughs> because I love it so much. So yeah, I actually ran a poll this morning to to ask uh, folks whether which of these is a loyalty program: Netflix, Uber, Amazon mm-hmm. Prime, and Costco. And the, the the truth of the matter is, it's a trick question. All four of these are quote unquote loyalty programs because essentially loyalty has to reward its customers. And remember, rewards is not just hard rewards like cash back or points. Netflix rewards you in relevance and in in time savings and that you don't no longer have to get up off the couch, go to the movies or go to a video store to rent a movie, et cetera. Uh, So reward is, is one. Recognition is, is the second. So they recognize you personally, they know your name and they, and they treat you differently from everyone else in the sense that they provide you with, again, relevance. Relevance is being the third, and then a, having a relationship is the fourth. So in essence, all all four of those are in, in and of itself loyalty, quote unquote, programs. Crazy. <laughs> loyalty is everywhere. It's like taking over. <laughs> it is. Thank you. Because loyalty at the end of the day is all about data. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, both Marcy and Leah. This was a really fascinating conversation. I'm sure we could we could do a follow up um, to dive into even more specifics. But for now, um, thanks for everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.